Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, hear more about the Old Testament prophet Daniel. Bishop breaks down the popular stories like Daniel's time in the lion's den and also explains the apocalyptic writing found in the book of Daniel. This is Kyle Hyman. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. We have been doing a series over the Old Testament prophets. So far, we've talked about Isaiah, and then there was an Isaiah part two, and then we had Jeremiah and Ezekiel, three of the major prophets. And I guess there's only one left, and that's Daniel. Very good. You know all four. I'm learning. Yeah. I'm learning. This has been <laughs> You know, it's interesting as I meet people around the diocese, um, they'll comment on listening and they said, Bishop, it's like a Bible study uh-huh. on, on the air. Yeah. And I said, yeah, that's true. It's kind of fun. So now we continue with, uh, with Daniel. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about Daniel before we start, Kyle? Well, we got the lion's den. Good. I'll talk right. about that. He's in He's in all of our children's Bibles. Yes. And I'll give a little bit of an explanation of okay, that. Okay, good. Good. And you know also the, the three young men in the fiery furnace? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, wow. You've been, you did your homework before I, this. Well, I... I that's that's like the two things that I remember from Daniel. Yeah, and King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, we talked about King Nebuchadnezzar at a, a past program. Do you remember what was the kingdom he was he was king of? Uh, I do not remember that. Yes, you do. I do. Babylon. Oh, Babylon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course, Babylon. It was on the tip of my tongue. Remember, he was the one who destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem and right. and deported the people to Babylon. Remember that? Right. Yeah. And that's actually a good place to begin because if you remember, there were different waves of deportation when the Jewish people were captured and sent to exile. Well, according to the first chapter of the book of Daniel, he was in that first wave. Remember, it wasn't a real big group, but that was when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians deported those who were members of the royal house and the aristocracy, you know, like the most important people in the society. And and um, so Daniel was and his three companions were in that first group that were deported in the year 605 BC. Mm-hmm. And then others in the years following, they were kind of held like hostages. Okay. Um, in the years following, we talked about um, the other deportations, and especially the one after they, uh, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed. Now, if you study the book of Daniel, some, some scholars think he was a legendary figure. D- Daniel if, altogether? Daniel, okay. yeah. But, you know, we really don't know, but... You know, it looks historical when you read it, because especially the first chapter where uh, it talks about him being exiled. I'll talk a little bit more about that first chapter to give the historical context. Uh, But one of the reasons some think he was legend is because the book of Daniel came so much later. Hmm. It way later. The other prophetic books were, you know, pretty much within uh, certain decades, but most scholars say that the book of Daniel comes from the second century BC, so okay. centuries after yeah. the exile. Earlier, it was thought that the book was from Daniel's lifetime, which was, you know, the sixth century 
BC, especially because there's oracles of Daniel in the book in chapters 7 to 12. Hmm. But those who argue against it being that early say, well, it was centuries later. Otherwise, how would you know what those oracles actually uh, happened, Mm -hmm. you know, the events? And anyway, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the historical arguments. It is the Word of God, and we need to look at it in that light. Uh So, why don't we begin with the first chapter? I mentioned this kind of gives the historical context. And with Daniel and his three companions taken hostage to Babylon, they arrive at the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. So, I just want to read the first seven chapters. I'm first seven chapters. We'll be here all, all the whole hour. <laughs> no, the first seven verses of uh-huh. chapter one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, handsome and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to serve in the king's palace and to teach them the letters and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the rich food which the king ate and of the wine which he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there we have it. They were at the royal court and we have their names and the names that they were changed to. So we have Daniel and his three companions. Now, what happened to them is they refused to eat that rich food and wa- and drink the wine in the king's house. And part of it was some of the food would not have been allowed by Jewish law. But the other thing is most important, they were things that they would offer this food and this wine to their gods. Mm. So, Daniel and his companions refused. And uh, so, let me read a few more verses about this later in that first chapter, verses 17 to 21, we read, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all letters and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them, among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. 
And in every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. So even though they refused to eat the food or drink the wine, they weren't punished for that. I mean, as we just heard, God gave them wisdom and understanding. The king was really impressed with them because of it. They were so much better than the magicians in his own kingdom. So, so, so far, so good. Yeah. Okay. Now, the next chapter, which is chapter two, there is a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And it's a famous dream in which he saw this statue. First of all, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to, you know, understand what the dream meant. Mm -hmm. So he called his own magicians and sorcerers and that. And, and before he asked them to give an interpretation, he asked them what he had dreamed. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, they had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> so he uh, then had Daniel brought in and asked Daniel what the dream was. And Daniel was able to tell him. Mm -hmm. Inspired by God, he was able to tell him. And then he was able to give the interpretation. And uh, the king was really angry at those other sorcerers and magicians and had them destroyed. But in any way, uh, Daniel is the one who then was able to not only repeat the dream, the content of the dream, mm -hmm. but give an interpretation of it. So basically in the dream, what Nebuchadnezzar saw was the image of a man with a head of gold, a chest and arms of silver, a midsection, like the stomach in that area, bronze, and the legs and the feet of iron. Quite an image. Then he saw a stone, which the reading says, cut out by no human hand, a stone, strike the image and destroy it. Then that stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. It's a rather strange dream, and Daniel interpreted it for the king. And he explained that the four parts of the statue, the four sections of metal, are a sequence of world empires. Now, many scholars and commentators on this say the four consecutive kingdoms symbolized in that image were Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Huh. Now, these were empires that followed one on the other. Okay. okay. We're now in the Babylonian empire. That's what, you know, Nebuchadnezzar right. was Babylon, but king of Babylon. And, but they were eventually conquered by the Persians who were then conquered by the Greeks who were then conquered by the Romans. So, sure. so those are the four parts of the, of the statue. But what's most significant is this stone, the stone that destroyed the image. Mm -hmm. It was a stone not cut by human hand, and it grew to be a mountain that spread throughout the earth, representing, 
according to Daniel and his interpretation, the kingdom of God uh-huh. that will be established, that will put an end to these four empires. So, clearly this image of metal, these with the four metals that Nebuchadnezzar saw, was an idol. Mm-hmm. It represented these false systems of pagan worship promoted by Babylon and and the other world empires. So the stone cut by no human hand is clearly a sacred stone suitable for an altar or a temple. And the growth of that stone into a great mountain that fills the earth certainly refers to the building of a universal temple. Mm. That temple is the kingdom of God, Mm -hmm. as Daniel makes clear. So true worship in the kingdom of God would prevail over the false worship in the kingdom of man, in the pagan temples of the world. So what is the rock that's not cut by human hands? The stone. Well, I'm getting to that. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No, that's a great question. I mean, it's, uh, as I said, it would be something sacred, uh, but the fathers of the church give some commentary to answer your question. Mm -hmm. We always can go to the fathers of the church because they're part of our living tradition. And the fathers saw this passage from Daniel as a prophecy about the coming of Christ, that Christ is the stone. Yeah. And the universal church would be the mountain Mm -hmm. that grew from the stone. I especially like the comment of St. Augustine on this passage. And this is what he wrote. And I brought the quote with me. Uh We know that the stone cut from the mountain without hands is Christ, who came from the kingdom of the Jews without human father. The stone that shattered all the kingdoms of the earth, all the tyrannies of idols and devils, the stone that grew and became a great mountain and filled the whole world. His holy hill, the great mountain, is his holy church. It is that mountain, which according to Daniel's vision, grew from a very small stone till it crushed the kingdoms of the earth and grew to such a size that it filled the face of the earth. By the way, we heard this reading uh, during the last week of the liturgical year, the week before Advent began. That whole week between the Feast of Christ the King and the beginning of Advent were these readings from, uh, were readings from the book of Daniel, including, I think it was Tuesday that week, we heard about this this story. I don't know if it appears, I don't think it appears anywhere else in the lectionary. So unless people go to daily mass, okay. they wouldn't have heard this at the liturgy. Uh-huh. So anyhow, I thought that's kind of got a taste of the of this incredible book of Daniel and, yeah. and the wonderful meaning in it. Yeah. Well, I want to hear more about the prophet Daniel. And also, I'm kind of curious about dreams and if there was more of an emphasis in biblical times, Old Testament and New Testament, than maybe today and why that is. We'll talk about that right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. 
Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking over the past month or so about these different Old Testament prophets, the major prophets. Today we've been talking about the prophet Daniel. And Bishop, you were talking about this dream that Daniel is interpreting from King Nebuchadnezzar. I feel like all throughout the Old Testament, there's dreams and interpretations of dreams. And then even in the New Testament, there's angels appearing to people in dreams and I can't remember the last time that I gave any credibility to a dream that I had and thought like, this is a sign or there's something I'm supposed to be interpreting from this. Has things changed or was it actual dreams that they're talking about or was there? Yeah. Well, I think when you read, especially the prophets, like in this case, it wasn't Daniel dreaming. It was the king. But right. But there are other times where we have the actual dreams that the prophets have Mm -hmm. or visions. Okay. Kind of like these dreamlike visions. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and God revealed himself through those. We do see that, especially in the prophets and other places. We have in the book of Genesis with uh, with Joseph and the Pharaoh, et cetera. But, but as far as God still revealing himself through dreams, uh, I think we have to be very cautious of that mm-hmm. because there's so much subjectivity that can be involved. But none comes to my mind right away about dreams of some of the saints. I, I can think of visions, uh-huh. you know, apparitions or visions that they might have had or interior locutions. And there's probably some dreams too, but none come to mind. Okay. Well, I feel like we've, we're only scratching the surface here. There's a lot more to the book of Daniel. I think, we're, are we two chapters in so Yeah, far? we're just two <laughs> chapters in, so I better pick up the pace. Yeah, okay. But I do want to go to chapter three, because mm-hmm. I really love chapter three of Daniel. And I want to, because it's those three companions, the three young men that we read about uh, in the fiery furnace. Mm-hmm. And um, this is kind of famous. Um, what had happened is Nebuchadnezzar, decide to set up a large golden idol near Babylon. Mm-hmm. And the people were to worship it. And Daniel, the three companions of Daniel, refused to worship this idol. And the king got very angry. He was enraged that they wouldn't do so. So he threw them into a furnace mm-hmm. to be incinerated. I think we all know this story and then how God sent an angel to preserve them in the midst of the flames. They Mm -hmm. didn't burn. Well, I think it was the next morning that Nebuchadnezzar saw four men in the furnace unhurt. So he was really amazed and, but he only had put three men in. Mm-hmm. So the fourth, according to the passage, sa- he says that the fourth that he saw was like a son of the gods, like a son of the gods. And many church fathers saw this as, as Christ uh-huh. in the furnace with them. But if you look at the Greek, the Greek 
says an angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. St. Jerome says it was an angel who, who foreshadowed Christ. Okay. Nebuchadnezzar was just amazed at this, and he summoned them to come out of the fire, and then he issued a decree, and it was only the three young men who came out, not the fourth, um, issued a decree protecting the God of Israel from defamation. In other words, he, he allowed the three young men to worship God, the true God. He promoted them, by the way, in his royal service. This is a really interesting thing. And, and getting back to the fathers of the church, they, they really made a big deal about the great faith of these three young men, basically saying that it summed up the best of the saints of the Old Testament, hmm. that they refused to participate in pagan worship, that they were willing to offer themselves, their bodies, to the Lord, kind of like a sacrificial offering. Mm-hmm. You know, by this time, they weren't offering sacrifices in the temple of Jerusalem. They couldn't offer sacrifice in the temple of Jerusalem because they were in exile. Mm-hmm. But they were ready to offer themselves as a sacrifice. It's interesting in the Eastern churches, both the Orthodox Church and the Eastern Catholic churches, the Byzantine Church, etc., they have a feast day for Daniel, oh. December 17th. So it's coming up. And actually in the Eastern churches, at the liturgy on the two Sundays before Christmas, they have hymns in honor of Daniel and the three young men. Hmm. So it's really interesting. Now, in our Western Roman Latin rite, we do find uh, some of this in our own liturgy. There's a great prayer of Azariah in this um, chapter three of the book of Daniel. Azariah, when he is in the fiery mm-hmm. furnace. It's pretty long, uh, so I can't. I don't want to read the whole thing. But listeners, if they want to check it out, the prayer of Azariah in the furnace, I'll just read a few verses of it, but it's like 20 verses so or more, so I, I don't want to read the whole thing. But just to get a taste of it, I'll read verses 15 to 17, because that's due with their sacrifice. And at this time, there is no prince or prophet or leader, no burnt offering or sacrifice or oblation or incense, no place to make an offering before you or to find mercy. Yet with a contrite heart and a humble spirit may we be accepted, as though it were with burnt offerings of rams and bulls and with tens of thousands of fat lambs. Such may our sacrifice be in your sight this day. And may we wholly follow you, for there will be no shame for those who trust in you. So that faith is just beautiful, Mm -hmm. ready to sacrifice themselves. Actually, this is a very familiar passage for our priests and for some laity and for our religious, because every four weeks we, we pray part of this prayer of Azariah in morning prayer from the Liturgy of the Hours. Okay. So... It does come up. The other one I think people might be more familiar with is in this chapter three, after this long prayer of Azariah, then we have the famous song of the three young men in the furnace, praising God for all creation. They praise God for what's visible and invisible. It's like 40 verses. (laughs) And we pray parts 
of it every Sunday in morning prayer, hmm. in the Liturgy of the Hours. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sang this beautiful litany of praise in which they called upon every facet of creation, in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, to praise and exalt God above all forever. So everything on earth and in heavens is called to bless the Lord. It's really a cosmic prayer that hmm. we say every week, every Sunday. And I'll just do part of it just so people might, uh, when they hear it, say, oh, yeah, I, I've heard that before. Sure. You can read it. It's in chapter 3 of Daniel, verses 28 to 68. And it begins like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, God of our fathers, and to be praised and highly exalted forever. And blessed is your glorious holy name, and to be highly praised and highly exalted forever. Then I'll skip down a little bit. Bless the Lord, all the works of the Lord. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, you heavens. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, you angels of the Lord. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, all waters above the heaven. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. So all that's the things above. Mm -hmm. Then you go on and then you get, bless the Lord, fire and heat. Mm -hmm. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Bless the Lord, ice and cold. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Let the earth bless the Lord. Let it sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. So it goes on and on. It's, it's a litany. So you keep repeating and it's, it's a cosmic prayer. So we're calling upon the whole universe, the whole cosmos to join in praise of God when we pray this. Uh -huh. And sometimes when I pray it, I think of these three young men in the furnace. Yeah, they're in the furnace while they're saying, yes, singing this prayer. That's right. Song. Yeah. Because they're experiencing that they're not burning. Yeah. You know, so they're praising God yeah. that he's delivering them from death. He's right. delivering them from destruction. He's saving them. So... It's now our song of praise mm -hmm. because we've been delivered. We've been saved by Christ from the fire, mm -hmm. the fire of sin and death, the destruction of sin and death. So that's basically chapter three. I'm going to skip the next two chapters because we'll never get through the book of Daniel, but I know you wanted to talk about the lion's den. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let's definitely talk about that and whatever else we can fit in here talking about the prophet Daniel. And if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. Coming up, we'll hear more about the prophet Daniel on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we've been talking about the prophet Daniel. So far, kind of some of the backstory and the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego surviving, basically trying to be burnt alive, and, then, and it's not successful. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar converts because of that. That's right? right. Yeah. Well, he doesn't convert, but he, well, in a sense, there's a conversion 
uh, it doesn't say that he then worshipped God, okay. uh, but he allowed the God of the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to worship okay. God. Okay. And maybe he did too. I, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. But then what else is the prophet Daniel up to? Well, I think Daniel in the lion's den right, is right. good. To, I mean, we all know this story. It's in chapter six. Now, keep in mind, by this time, uh, Daniel's no longer young. He's an, an older man by the time we get to chapter six. And Babylon had been conquered by this time by the next kingdom, which is Persia. And the king's name was Darius, okay, the Persian king. And he made Daniel one of his top administrators. There were, I think, three of them. And he really had planned to make him his number two in the kingdom. So others were jealous. And they were convinced that they had to do something to get rid of Daniel. So what they did was they convinced King Darius to make a law that would prohibit any prayer to any god or man except himself, except King Darius. Okay. And this was like a law for 30 days that they could only worship or pray to Darius himself. Hmm. So this was a trap. They uh -huh. kind of knew Daniel's not going to obey it. Uh -huh. And they knew Daniel was a faithful Jew. So what happened, He's he was caught praying to God. Daniel was caught. And therefore, he got the death penalty. And he was thrown into a lion's den. There was a lion there to devour him. And as you know from the story, the Lord sent an angel to calm the lion's hunger. Mm -hmm. And when the king, when Darius went to sea in the morning, he was astonished. And actually, he was happy hmm. that Daniel was alive because he really didn't want Daniel to be killed. So he was relieved. And he had Daniel, you know, raised up from the pit, taken out of the pit. And then he threw Daniel's accusers into the pit. Okay. So, and they didn't survive. Uh -huh. And then what he did was he issued a decree that everyone should reverence the God of Daniel. Mm -hmm. This was kind of like Nebuchadnezzar, remember, after the fiery furnace. Mm -hmm. And then Darius uttered a, a hymn about the kingdom of the true God. And I'd like to read that. So here you have this Persian king, this pagan. In chapter 6, and it's just two verses, verses 26 and 27. He said, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So, this whole idea of God's kingdom, you know, this is really important here. And it's triumph because Jesus will speak often, preach about this kingdom. Mm -hmm. So this idea of the kingdom of God was a principal theme foreshadowed in the book of Daniel. 
And Daniel was just like his three companions who were in the furnace. He consented to become a sacrifice. You know, he was cast into the lion's den. And God saved all of them. Saved Daniel from the lion, saved the three young men from the fiery furnace. So the really important thing here is you have kind of like this opposition between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God and how God's kingdom will triumph and true worship would triumph. And then you also have this notion of sacrificial worship. Here they were away from the worship in the temple in Jerusalem, but yet the three young men and Daniel were willing to be martyrs as kind of like a liturgy, hmm. a sacrifice of themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of meaning here. When we get to the next half of the book of Daniel, which is chapters 7 to 12, there's a whole series of visions and oracles about the future from the time of Daniel up to the advent or the beginning of the kingdom of God. Hmm. Now, I'm just going to talk about one of the visions because it's really an important one and we don't have time in an hour long show to, to go through all the visions, but, but chapter seven of Daniel is um, very important old Testament passage. And it's something that part of which we hear read in the lectionary at different times, this one famous part of chapter seven, for example, every three years it's read on the feast of Christ, the King in year B which will be, well, this is, we just started year A, so it'll be another full year uh -huh. um, or two years. And then um, every year on the Feast of the Transfiguration on August 6th, we hear this reading. We talked about dreams before the, the dream of, of Nebuchadnezzar, but now Daniel himself has a dream. Mm -hmm. And it's a famous dream where he sees four great beasts rising from the sea. So I'd like to read this passage and then discuss it. It's chapter 7, verses 9 to 14. Okay. I'm sorry. I think maybe I should start earlier in the chapter so you actually hear the dream, the whole dream. Daniel wrote down what he saw in the dream. I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand upon two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. 
I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and one that was ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, and because of the sound of the great words which the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was slain, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions. Now, this is the part that we find in the lectionary. We don't find that part I just read. Okay. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay. All right. So I, I feel like I, I understand the end bit. <laughs> but I think the other stuff I'm, I'm a little confused on. So maybe we can get an explanation of that coming up. And if you have any questions, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or text us on the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. Coming up, we've got more on the Prophet Daniel right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop talking about the prophet Daniel. And Bishop, you just read through this dream of Daniel, which starts with all of these beasts with wings and <laughs> ends with what I'm assuming is a an image of Christ who comes to establish you're, his you're, kingdom. You're giving away the my the part pun, here. The punchline? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, you're I right. I, I think I get the punchline. I'm not sure if I get the, <laughs> well, the rest of the, the content. Well, there. first of all, what's good is if you if we continued reading chapter uh -huh. 7, the next from verses 15 to, to 28, you have the interpretation because Daniel was anxious about it. It was kind of alarming, these visions, that uh -huh. he, this vision and the dream that he had. So he asked God and he was inspired with the interpretation. So I'll read just two verses. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. So you can read more details, but, mm -hmm. but basically let me summarize it. Each of these beasts, the, the lion, the bear, the leopard, the dragon-like beast, the big beast at the end, mm -hmm. 
they succeeded one another. So they were the four kings and the four kingdoms that we've already talked about in the other dreams. So you have the winged lion was a common symbol of Babylon. You know, okay. so that was the first beast that came out of the sea. The second one was the bear that was either Persia, probably Persia, or it could have been Medes because the Medes and the Persians, the Medes are of the kingdom of Media, they were kind of together when they conquered and, and became an empire. Then it was Greece, and then it was Rome. Okay, the last, although some will divide it and say the second was just the Medes and the third was Persia and the fourth was Greece. I think more say that the second was was both the Medes and the Persians together than Greece, than than Rome. Hmm. But in any case, that's something you could study the different scholarly opinions on that. But that's not the most important thing. It's next is what's most important, that he sees the one he calls the ancient of days and the ancient of days appears and sets up his throne and he's surrounded by angels and he convenes his court. He passes judgment on the beasts and destroys that last beast, you know, dragon like beast. And then one, like a son of man, this is what one, like a son of man is presented before the ancient of days and this one like a son of man receives all authority this is the climax here we have the kingdom of god front and center who is the one like a son of man well most ancient commentators said it was the messiah the future king the savior Mm -hmm. Some modern scholars say that it was a corporate symbol for the people of the saints of the Most High, which in verse 22 I mentioned it said, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Mm -hmm. The four kings and kingdoms, uh, the four beasts aren't just the four kingdoms, but four kings. So they're both symbols of the kings, but also corporate symbols of their kingdoms. So the same with the son of man. It's an individual, but it's also a corporate body. Sure. The, the king and the kingdom, mm-hmm. the king and the kingdom of the saints. This vision, by the way, parallels with Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two, the four metals, the four pagan mm-hmm. kingdoms, the stone cut by no human hand, same as the one like a son of man. Mm -hmm. The kingdom of the saints is the mountain that fills the earth. Mm -hmm. The book of Daniel was heavily used by Jesus when he would speak about the kingdom of God. And he spoke of himself as what? The son of man. Mm -hmm. This was incredible. He used that title from the book of Daniel for himself. Okay. The fathers of the church saw this passage in Daniel 7 as a prophecy about the second coming of Christ at the end of time. And also, they interpreted that the last horn of the fourth beast as the Antichrist, 
hmm. in the last days. This was really an eschatological interpretation of Daniel 7, kind of very similar to the type of apocalyptic imagery that we find in the book of Revelation. Right. So, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are both apocalyptic and eschatological in their okay. meaning, which means referring to the end, the end times. Uh -huh. And it's a prophecy of the, the glorification of Christ and his role as the king over all creation, which is why we read this passage in year B on the feast of Christ the king. So anyhow, Daniel 7 is, is a quite important, Daniel chapter 7 is quite important for Christology, the study of Christ, and this idea of the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. And I think we're so used to hearing Jesus re referring to himself as the Son of Man, but we don't realize where that comes from. And this is where it came from, the book of Daniel chapter 7. So it's pretty incredible that Jesus used that title for himself. And then people would have the idea of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man being established in, in his kingship. Yeah. All right. Well, this has all been fascinating. We've I can't believe we're finally done with our four major prophets. But uh, thank you so much, Bishop. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. <laughs>